This message comes to you from BCC, a missional, vibrant and life-bringing church in the heart of our community. For more information, go to bccweb.com. We'll just get into this new series. I'm so excited about the start of this new series, Movement and Multiplication. Uh, The church, this church, BCC, is at a place of massive change right now. It's happening. The power of God is in the church. The power of God is working in your life. He's working in my life. Together, God is starting to move us. And we've been dropping these little teasers for movement and multiplication for about the last four or five weeks in the church. You probably wondered what on earth these, these talking heads were and these video clips are all about. But we're going to go into this book of Acts today, an exciting step forward for us as BCC. The Holy Spirit spoke to me a number of months ago, um, a couple of months ago, thinking about when we should start this next series. And I, I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me directly, start on the book of Acts, start with Acts 1 on this date. And it, strangely enough, in the Pentecostal world, the book of Acts is a well-known and well-discussed book. Or should I say, the second chapter of Acts is a well-discussed part of the book of Acts. But actually for us, we want to start walking through this as a journey because um, the book of Acts is, is really an account of the birth of the church. But actually it's more than that. It's not just about the church. It's actually the continued ministry of Jesus Christ post-resurrection. It's absolutely critical for our ability to see what the kingdom of God's about and what God is doing in us, through us, around us, in the world that we touch, in the communities we connect with. This book of Acts is a very, very important thing. So I'm going to start stepping through it. Why movement? Uh, Because movement is absolutely key in life. You you can't do anything without movement. You have to. Um, You have to be able to move. If you can't move, then you are immobile, and if you're immobile, you are ineffective. You can't change stuff. But equally, you could move, and you could be moving in all the wrong directions for all the wrong reasons, and so you could be wayward in your movement. Your movement could easily be very wayward, and that movement uh, could take you into all sorts of blind alleys and dangerous places. Uh, You know, in terms of movement, um, I was talking to someone yesterday, my sister-in-law, uh, is, uh, is an American lady and she is a PR executive with online media uh, responsibilities out in Texas. And she was telling me that now, these days, uh, people make decisions within two seconds about what they're interested in. And those of you who live on your mobile devices will know that, literally within two seconds. We were on holiday for a couple of weeks and you know, if we hadn't got the internet with us in that hotel, I think my daughters probably would have felt completely lost. Why? Because this generation coming up needs to be in contact with each other, way more than even my generation. I remember when mobile phones first came out, I was working in the city, I remember walking down um, um, Hoban and seeing someone pull out a massive great brick of a phone from a, from a, from a suitcase <laughs> and thinking, wow, his antenna's like, looks like he's like an armoured car kind of coordinator but it's this thing walking down the street which is bigger than he was I think and uh, and I thought wow if that's what what mobile phones are like I don't want one but now they're just incredibly powerful and these tiny little devices connect you with the world so quickly so movement is happening all the time whether we like it or not it's happening around us it's happening despite us society is moving whether we like it or not people's attitudes opinions beliefs they're moving all over the place their senses of identity is moving um, what they don't have is a constant. 
And for us, we have something society doesn't have. We have the rock that is Jesus Christ. He is our constant and he is the saviour of the world. Everything revolves around him, not an Apple iPhone 6. It isn't the centre of the universe. Uh, Jesus is. And everything in time and place and history and the future and creation sits around Jesus Christ. So we can be trying to move to the place of um, dynamic movement, but completely missing who is at the very centre of everything um, that we are connected with. You know, I was talking to, again, my sister-in-law yesterday. I had a great chat with her. And she said, you know, Google bots go all around the internet, the known data universe, gathering information from every computer website that they possibly can to try and build up profiles on who's going where and doing what and how you can get access. And programmers are creating programs to make sure those bots find their site. And uh, it's really something I don't understand very well. I'm so glad that Adam, by the way, has become the communications manager for BCC and he's got all the hassle of figuring out how to navigate Googlebots for us. Um, and again, Amazon. Who's ever bought anything on Amazon? Just show me your hands. You know, I don't know how... I, I buy stuff on Amazon all the time. But don't you just get a bit annoyed when you get the, the advertisement telling you about something you looked at, looked at three weeks ago and you've since bought it and suddenly... But you know what they're doing? They're gathering data on you. They're gathering data because they know you're still moving in your thinking and they're hoping you haven't bought anything yet and hopefully you'll, you'll go back to Amazon or whoever the, the website is to, to buy whatever you are looking at. And it is a bit irritating, but you, kind of, you take it with the, with the territory, I suppose. Um, so things are not static. They're moving all the time. But people are far more dynamic than they ever were. Their, their groups, the relationship groups are moving constantly. But at the same time, people are looking for security. They're looking for dependability, reliability, stuff that's trustworthy. Um, they're looking for the truth. Actually, I think people are looking for truth. They just don't know where to find it. People are looking for truth. Our Christian population in Britain is down in the low single figures. We have the truth. The Bible says if you have the truth, it will set you free. And yet we are not brilliant at communicating that truth to the world that's changing around us. And our challenge as a church is to figure out how to weave our story of truth into the lives of people without offending them, but bringing direct challenge and information and a cutting edge to what they do. So movement is very important. Um, A secular writer, William Gibson, said, he was a science fiction author, I've never read his books, but he said something interesting. He said, we see in order to move, we move in order to see. That's an interesting thought. I think there's some truth in that. Uh, We see in order to move, we move in order to see. But the Bible says something slightly different. The Bible says you listen. (laughs) It says use your ears, not just your eyes. Use your ears. Jesus says, uh, those who know my voice, they become my disciples. It's those who hear God. You can't always go on the basis of what you see. It's what you know and what you hear, both with your ears and with your spirit. If we don't have that part of our life active, we won't really know where to move to next. Or we'll be dragged along by what you see. And there's a lot of tempting stuff out there. There's stuff that is very, very tempting in front of us. In terms of multiplication, did you know that by the end of this year, mobile connected devices, there'll be more of them than the entire population of this earth. Mobile connected data devices, pulling video, pulling email, buying books, transacting. Um, It's extraordinary. And by 2018, uh, I read somewhere, there'll be 10 billion mobile devices, 1.4 for every person on this planet. The world is moving and it's uh, multiplying its interest big time. 
You know, the population is still growing very strong. We're over 7 billion people around the world. You know how many people will be born in the world today? 205,000 extra people are being born today. 205,000 extra. That's on top of the normal birth rate. That's the growth on top of it. Something like 78 million people will be born in addition to the world's current population this year. The church, the, the church needs to be engaged and active and seeing that God is creating pathways into, into that activity. Um, the big data discussion about the, the multiplication of data, we're talking about multiplication for a moment. You know, every two years, the data that's produced in the world is doubling in terms of internet and online traffic. It's just an extraordinary thing. It's a, a very big move. And now they're analysing it not just in volume, but in terms of speed and in terms of type. Because people are looking to influence people through types of data. They're look in fact, you know, some of these sophisticated PR and marketing agencies are looking for the influencers in the world and how they influence people through data traffic. And they'll target you influencers who use your Twitter and whatever else you're using. And they'll pinpoint campaigns at you because they see your traffic. You know, so don't think for one second that what you tweet to your mate is not read by somebody. There are huge data mines out there identifying the influencers, the mavens, uh, you know, all these different personalities that are out there operating around the data space of the internet. So interesting, multiplication is a fact. And do I know that data on PCs is, is can cause problems? Yes. Last night, Liz spent hours in our bedroom because we've got an Apple Mac, and she's been uploading all her video files that she's been recording over a number of years. And we got to one terabyte of data on the machine and couldn't do anything with it. We were stuck with it. And so we got data overload, if you like. The, the machine, you couldn't back it up. Um, we couldn't move stuff off it. It's like it just got saturated. And... You know, you can get your life saturated with all the wrong stuff. You know, I remember 10 years ago, a terabyte was like something that you only found in the space race or in NASA or, or GCHQ or somewhere. But to think of having that on, on your computer in your bedroom is just mind-blowing. And ours was full and stuck. And, and so that little thing was purring away all night while Liz was doing a full backup. I woke up this moring with this blurry white ticking, ticking, ticking. Blur. Liz said, don't touch it, don't touch it. It's got to complete its backup. So, you know, we can get saturated by these things. But what has this got to do with the book of Acts? The book of Acts is all about... Jesus moving and multiplying his presence in this world. That's what it's all about. Movement and multiplication. And what about BCC? We just incidentally, yesterday morning, just looked at the numbers of different categories of people and children, young people, adults, um, who come into the life of BCC and who are connected with us through some form of meeting. So in our meeting environment in BCC. And you know there's 500 people linked with BCC in a meeting capacity from time to time. So in a Sunday morning right now, we can only have maybe 250 in this service. So that's why we are looking to become more responsible about our discipleship making. But why we are also looking to create space to make sure we are drawing people in appropriately and recognising what we need to do to inform people and give you confidence to reach your neighbours and your friends and the people you meet with the gospel. That's what we're doing. That's why we're doing it. So BCC is in a phase of movement and multiplication, which is really, really exciting. What will we look like in a year's time? What will BCC look like in a year's time? How many of your friends will have found faith in the next 12 months? How many of your friends... How many of the pe people you contact or see in, you know, as you go around life, 
How many of those people will find faith in the next 12 months? I don't believe that anybody in this room is where you are by accident. I don't believe it. I believe God ordains paths. I believe God directs us. I believe God puts us into paths. I believe God puts us into places of movement. And sometimes we get so busy with all this data stuff and work pressures and family pressures and job pressures and finance pressures that we forget that in all that movement, the power of God is wanting to work and is working. And we can miss it. And what are we looking at today? We're looking at why we miss it and we're looking at what we need to do to address that. So God has drawn you to BCC for one of three things. You may, it may be all three things, but at least one of those three things. He's drawing you to BCC so you can find who Jesus Christ is. That's the first thing. He's drawing you to BCC so that you can find out who you are. That's the second thing. And the third thing that he's drawing you to BCC for is so that you can identify what his missional purpose in your life is. Those three things are why people are drawn into God's kingdom. That's why that, that happens. That's why God's spirit moves. That's why churches exist. They don't exist just so that we can have a jolly time together. They exist to equip us, to help us identify who we are, um, identify where we're going, and identify how we're going to be operating and working with people just like ourselves. I, was, I said during the Saturday morning thing that George Verwer, who preached here on this platform just a few weeks back, uh, came up with this theological expression. You know, We talk about missiology, the study of missions. Well, he talked about the messiology. He talks about the messiology of church. What is messiology? It's where you have two or three gathered together and they try and get on and make things happen. But we know that it is possible. It is possible that in the mess, God can produce stuff. So there'll be times of tension, times of pressure. But it'll be very interesting times moving forward. So let's look at Acts 1. Let's start right at the beginning of Acts 1 and look at the first five verses. I'm going to look at three parts of Acts 1 this morning. On certain weeks we may do a whole chapter, other weeks we'll do part of a chapter, depending on where the, the logical fit is. This morning we're going to look at Acts 1, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the first part of Acts 1 is the promise. The second key part of Acts is the purpose, and we'll, we'll dive into that. And the third key part is the person. So we'll be looking at the promise. Now if we don't complete this, we'll run it potentially into next week. The first part will be the promise. The second part will be the purpose, and the third part will be the person. So what is the promise? The promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 1, 1 to 5. In my first book, I told you, um, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. I like that. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. That's an interesting thing. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he has promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is an introduction to this series, and uh, we will have to measure and temper how we walk through it. But this is an introduction to the series, and we start with Theophilus. (laughs) Who was Theophilus? What on earth do we have Theophilus appearing in our scriptures for? We We only read about him in one other place in the New Testament. Theophilus, who was he? It's be useful to understand. We think he was probably a Roman official because of his title. 
Now, the book of Acts, as you may or may not know, was written by Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. So he wrote two prominent parts of the Scriptures, and we'll look at that in a moment. But in Luke 1, verse 3, he talks about the most excellent, in some translations, honourable Theophilus. He's writing both the, the, uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, this, these two accounts, he's writing to Theophilus. Why on earth Theophilus? Well, people have speculated. Um, Theophilus as a Greek word implies God friend. Is it a generic title, meaning anybody who happens to read these scriptures? I don't think so. The theologians don't really think that's true. They think Theophilus was a real person. He was probably someone with a Roman background, or certainly in the Roman world. Uh, he was probably someone with education. He was probably someone with wealth. He was probably someone who had a purpose. But why would Theophilus ask Luke to write these two accounts? Why would he do it? Well, uh, it's an interesting study. There is no definitive answer to this. But we think that he was probably, certainly in rank, the level of a Roman governor. And therefore someone with a legal background and legal knowledge. So if he was a legally minded man with status and power in the Roman world, why was Luke writing the, the gospel and the, the book of Luke as we have it today? So the book of Acts as we have it today. Why was he doing it? Well, David Pawson suggests, now David's a great writer. He suggests that Theophilus may have been, in fact, a judge or a lawyer. Now you may never have come across that idea. Now, there's no definitive statements about this, so I'm not presenting a theology that's out there. I'm just saying there's a potential that this is what was going on here. But that's very interesting. Why would Theophilus be a judge or a lawyer? Well, it could well tie into the fact that Paul had two trials that took place in his life. There was a first trial and a second trial. In both trials, he was imprisoned, as you may remember. And we also know from the Scriptures that the way... Um, that uh, Luke describes Theophilus was just the same as Festus and Felix, who were Roman governors. And what did Festus and Felix do? They, they presided over trials. So there's every possibility that Theophilus was a lawyer in his day. Every possibility. And if it is the case, why would Luke have been the one to write this down? Because Luke was an educated man. He was an informed man. His Greek writing style was the style of one who was not only educated, but well-versed in historical things. He was, in, he was a detail man. If you're a doctor, you are required to understand detail. You understand you need to validate what you're writing down, and you need to look into the authenticity of the evidence. That, um, why, is it, why is it possible, in fact, this was documentation for the preparation of one of Paul's trials? Because Paul is referenced three times in the book of Acts, and in the light of the Roman world, He's given a glowing presentation, whereas the Jews are hammered by Luke for what they've done in terms of history. So Luke is very brutally honest about what happened with regard to the Jews, but with regard to the Romans, he's very accommodating. Uh, in fact, if you look at the book of Acts, it finishes in chapter 26, and it seems to just suddenly stop. And so it kind of fits with that idea that perhaps this is what was going on here. Now, this is speculation. But it's a very interesting idea because it helps us to think about why these books were written. Did you know that, that, that Dr. Luke was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament? Did you know that? The only Gentile, the non-Jewish writer of the New Testament. Did you also know this? Some people don't, many people don't, that Dr. Luke 
the writings of both the book of Luke and the book of Acts are the largest um, complete works in the whole of the New Testament. There are more words in those two works and they complement each other deliberately and they're bigger than any other part of the New Testament, including all the writings from the Apostle Paul. So these are very important writings. And you know how God is. God does things. He may have... He may have been instrumental in Luke doing this for a local purpose, but God has used it in his divine wisdom for our benefit. And so we have got the benefit of these days. Well, what does that say to to us about about these scriptures? It says to us that these are highly reliable scriptures. They're validated by many witnesses. This man took time when he was alive on this earth to go research the truth and to investigate. Why? Because if this was truly going to be used for trial purposes, then he had to be accurate. He had to, be, had to have substance. And as a doctor with credibility, there's no way he was going to allow his reputation to be tarnished or damaged by misinformation. Which is very good, so that when we talk to people about the accuracy of God's word, you can go to these two parts of scripture and say, look, this, is, this in its day existed, AD 60 to 64. These scriptures were researched by people with substance. They were validated, they were checked and balanced, and God breathed through it and God spoke through it. So Luke did a huge amount of work for us. That's how we know that some of these scriptures are highly reliable and trustworthy. Paul described Luke as his beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. When did Luke join them? He joined Paul and Silas uh, as they were leaving. This is amazing. I only realized this just recently. Um, In Acts 16 verse 10, it says that Luke joined um, Paul and Silas and Timothy as they were in Asia. In fact, they were in a place called Troas. It was the last stop before going to Macedonia. It's amazing. So Luke went into Macedonia with Paul. And I say that because we've got this passion for Macedonia. And next weekend, 20 people from our church will be heading to Macedonia. In fact, next, a week tomorrow, uh, maybe a week, ne- a week today, maybe, depending on how logistics is going to work out. But we've got, we're, we're following the footsteps of these biblical characters because God is drawing us. We are 2014 and God is doing the same thing in our lives and in this church that he did in his book. It's amazing that God is using us in the same way. Why are we doing it? Why are we going off on some vain flight of fancy to go to Macedonia just because we think we've got nothing else to do? Not at all. It's because the Spirit of God is actively leading us to do a job for Him in that location. We're actively being responsible. Now, our job is also to be responsible locally. You know, Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and we'll get on to that. But we are called just like Paul was. Just like Luke was, just like uh, Timothy was, just like the other apostles, just like Silas. Why are we called? Because God is needing us to be somewhere. He's moving us. This whole book of Acts is about Jesus moving. These two books of Luke and Acts, they they are complementary. They are part of a sequel. One was the forerunner of the other. One was the life of Jesus on the earth and the other one is the life of Jesus in heaven through his church on the earth. So it's not that Jesus went and it all stopped. It's that Jesus went and multiplied his presence on this earth. And who's he multiplied his presence through? You and me. We are Jesus' presence on this earth. That's what this whole book of Acts is about. It's about Jesus' work continuing. And so what Luke has done is he started to gather that data and then he started to follow it, validate it, bring it into the right place and motivate us with truth so that we're able to be confident in what's gone on. So it works as a history book but it also works as a definitive uh, move of God, an illustration of what God is doing in this earth. 
And it's as valid today as it was when it was first written in AD 60 stroke 64. It's as valid. And what it represents to us is that this sequel that Luke talked about, this sequel is now and relevant and existing and will change your life if you allow your life to line up with it. What have we done over the last year? We've been looking at who our identity is. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. We've, you know, we can't just stop with our identity in Christ. You know, if we go, you know what? I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. Whoopee! I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm in Christ. Great. Now what? Well, Jesus had to go so that his Holy Spirit could come and move us from the knowledge of being in Christ to productivity and functionality in Christ. If we stay stuck in our identity as in Christ, and all we do is go, you know what? I'm in Christ. That's great. I feel really good about myself. Yeah, good. I've got some good friends at the church. Oh, I'm struggling here and there. God's just saying, look, I'm giving you my Holy... I've got to go. Jesus said, I've got to go so the Holy Spirit can come and fill you with the power And it's just like Richard had in that prophetic word. Jesus has said, when we move forward and we talk about his kingdom, he'll give us the missing pieces. Do you get it? He'll give us the missing pieces. We've all got missing pieces right now. And some of us have got empty, what are those things called? (laughs) Things. Someone call it a name. A what? A pie. Cheeses that goes in pie. Right. Some of you have got no cheese at all. I think there's a book like Who Stole Your Cheese or something, isn't it? Um, some of you have got no cheese. And some of you have just got green cheese. I wouldn't want to eat your green cheese for anything. <laughs> but you may only have green cheese, but there's a red one. There's no red ones. There's a blue one. There's a pink one. What colour cheeses are there? Yellow, blue, green, pink, brown, orange. I've got seven. Something's gone wrong. <laughs> Anyway, so if God is truly speaking to us and drops a prophetic word into Richard's heart, there's cheese out there for you to get. <laughs> Have I lost you? <laughs> then we need to go get the cheese, right? It's a picture, isn't it? You don't want to be empty pies. You don't want to be. Are you going to be empty pies? Or do you want to be full of cheese? <laughs> Who wants to be full of cheese? I said, who wants to be full of cheese? Some of you are far too sophisticated. Who just wants to be an empty pie? That's probably the best question. Right, okay. So we're messing around a little bit. But it's true that God is wanting to fill us. And certain things he can only give us by the power of his spirit. You can't get them just by being someone who's just got an identity in Christ. You have to be filled with God's spirit to be equipped with those things. So have you encountered Jesus I hope the answer is yes, but don't just stop there. We need to be filled with his spirit to do the stuff that he wants us to do. And I said earlier during the communion time this morning that the resurrection is right at the heart of the teaching in Acts. The resurrection of Jesus, and that's why right at the beginning here, it says, verse 3, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Because you know what it's like? Have you ever been somewhere where you see something and a couple of days later you think, did I see that? Did I imagine it? Was that just a flight of fancy? Was that what someone told me? Did I really, did that really happen? It would be so easy to have that sort of experience. But Jesus made sure he was on this earth for 40 days so that people could touch him, um, hold him, see the scars in his hands. To see the side of his, see his side, to see that he was the man who was placed on the cross, to see that he was the man who claimed to be God and was and is God, 
He demonstrated that he would eat things. He breathed. He actively had a living, eating, consuming body, but it was an eternal body. He changed. He could walk through walls. You know that. He could appear wherever he wanted to appear and he could disappear when he wanted to. There's something about the power and the kingdom of God that is way outside of the the kingdoms of this earth. And what Jesus demonstrated when he came back, when he was resurrected, was that his resurrected body was something that carried the divine and it carried the human. The human and the divine together. And what we struggle with sometimes is that we're all stuck in the human. We don't live in the divine. We're stuck in humanity and we get stuck and, and our humanity slows us down stops us moving and starts us doubting and starts us giving creating questions but what God wants to do is say that look hang on a second when you allow the divine to be in the human and allow the divine to lead the human then anything can happen anything can happen and that's what all this is about Jesus saying wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit I'm going to fill you with the divine so you can do the extraordinary so you're not just a human with no purpose and no point and no relevance and you're just a statistic in that massive sea of data you're being marketed to and PR'd to and you're just a Twitter account or a failed Facebook account. You know, whatever it is, Jesus said, no, 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 I died for you. I gave my life for you because you are worth way more than you think you're worth. You're worth way more. Your life is so important to me that I've invested my life in you and I want to fill you up with me. That's what he's saying. I've given you my, you know, legally, theologically, religiously. He's given us his identity before God. Our future is secure. Our salvation is assured. But our lives are still stuck because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not actively moving in the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to move in the power of his Holy Spirit. Tom Wright says... It's all about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach through us. It's just extraordinary. And you know, sometimes I think Jesus is getting a bit impatient. He wants to come back again. He does. He wants to come back again. And you know why, that's why in the Middle East all these people are coming to faith in the Muslim world? Why? Because the Christians are going too slow. That's why. I think God is saying, come on, we're stepping it up now, guys. The Christians are having to play catch up with what God's doing. He's revealing himself supernaturally in the Middle East like nothing on earth. You know, 35,000 people just two years ago in in northern Ethiopia have come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour from a Muslim background. How is that possible? It's because God is moving things forward. And actually, we're too slow in our movement. We're just still waiting. We're like the guys staring up, wondering what's going to happen next. Which leads me to the second point, the purpose, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Verses 6 to 8. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom. I can't, he spent 40 days explaining to them about the kingdom, showing his resurrected body and seeing the supernatural. And then in verse 6, he's saying, Lord, does the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? I can't, I just, I'm baffled by how on earth those disciples could conclude what he was doing was rebuilding the kingdom of Israel at that point. It's just mind-blowing. Now, God has got an agenda for the kingdom of Israel, the people of Israel. But at this point, he's talking about his spiritually generated kingdom where the power and the performance and the movement of Jesus Christ and and the Holy Spirit is all vested. And so Jesus replies, verse 7, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates. That's about the kingdom of Israel and times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about him, about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. 
You will. He's separating the two issues. Why? Because being filled with his spirit is incredibly important for us. It's not enough just to be in knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yes, we've given our life to him and, our, and we are born again and, and we're, our, hearts, our, our spirits are sealed with God and, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. But there's this whole be being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is so important to us as believers. Next week, we are going to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll be going right into Acts 2. I want you to be praying this week, God, what are you going to do in me going forward? Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, I've never really, really got it. I've never really stepped into that next phase of my journey with Jesus Christ. If you feel that's you, come expecting. Come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday and let's pray about what God's going to do next weekend. We're going to pray for this church en masse to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will it be tongues of fire and a mighty wind that's god doesn't do that every time he fills people with the holy spirit and if that's your expectation it'll it'll give you doubt god does things differently but he fills us with the holy spirit and next weekend we're going to pray for the whole church i believe god's going to anoint people there's gifting there's cheeses in you that you don't even know exist and god wants to draw them out god wants to draw them out why in fact he wants to deposit them in your pie right He wants them in there. Why does he want them in there? Because he wants you to be fully equipped for his purpose and his mission. So we've talked about the promise. We started to talk about the purpose. The trouble is we get hardwired, don't we? We get hardwired to the kingdoms of this world. That's what his disciples did. They were with him for 40 days after the resurrection and they still said, is it the kingdom of Israel? (laughs) It's so easy for our minds to drop back into old thinking. We have got to move our old thinking to one side and say, I'm not going to doubt this. I'm going to believe it. This guy, Luke, researched it. He's given me an accurate account of what happened. The power of God is real. We've seen the power of God touch people in healing, being filled in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. We've seen the supernatural happen. And if you are in here today and you feel that I just need to go that next step, we're going to pray for it next week. And for those of you who are already baptised in the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray that God just do something amazing in your journey because the Bible says, be being filled. You know, it says in Acts 1, 9 to 11, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud and while they were watching, they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood uh, among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing and staring into space, (laughs) staring into heaven? And uh, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him come. I saw him going. That's a direct story about the second coming. But if we stay stuck, just hoping that one day Jesus is going to come back and bail me out, you missed it. The whole point is that Jesus wants to work through us. It's a missional call into our community, both here in Bromley, in the London area, in Europe, maybe further afield. It's all those things. And God, China, it's all those things. God is wanting to do stuff. He's wanting to move us. But it's all about his kingdom. It's not about the kingdoms of this earth. So the person is the third point. And we're going to, I think we're going to leave that till next week because the time is going. But the amazing thing about all this is that God is wanting to pour himself into us. Why? To be his hands and his feet. He sees more potential in you and me than we do. We, we live with our doubts and our uncertainties and our fears. And God says, you know, you can't think the way you used to think. You've got to start thinking about the way I'm thinking. 
You've got to start thinking about what I put in. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. You might be 90. How old was Luke when he died? 84 years old. 84 years old. And he went all around the Middle East with, with Paul. He saw all that stuff. And he was firing. And you know when he was in Troas and he joined them? He, it says, he says, we went on effectively to Macedonia. We got the call. He said, to preach. I think Luke was preaching. Luke was preaching. I bet you he was preaching at the age of 83 and a half. At the age of 84 and a bit, I think he was preaching. That guy was full of the cheese. The guy was full of God's spirit. He was full of God's work in his life. And we don't want to go through life. Now, you, may, you know, we're only a few hundred people in this service. Doesn't matter. 120. 120. Sometimes it's just two and three and one. And yet the most amazing things can happen. We're a few hundred. Imagine what would happen if, if we just truly say, God, change me. Change the way I'm thinking. Fill me to overflowing. Help me to see what it is that you want me to be and become. What is it you want me? You are so key as part of this church. You are so important. You are not here by accident. You are here for purpose. You are here because God has called you by his spirit. He said, wait, don't move. Even though the series is movement and multiplication, he said, wait, don't move. Wait until you hear me instruct. Wait till I give you what you need. And when I get, some of you have been called here and you're thinking, why am I still waiting? What am I waiting for? Why am I here? God seems to have me here for some, because God's about to do something through you and in you that's going to blow your mind. You've got, we've got to get out of our heads that God is, you know, it's for somebody else. God has called you. He wants to, imp- every one of the 120 were filled with God's spirit. He didn't go, you know what? Peter, you're a good guy. You know, whoever else is with him, James, you haven't quite made the grade today. He just indiscriminately filled the lot of them. And they had flaws. They had weaknesses. They had failings. He filled all of them. And with that, I'm going to close. Uh, um, Shegan, where are you? I'm glancing around the room. Over there. Come and join me. I'm not going to do a salvation call this morning. I'd like us to stand, though. I'd like us to really get our minds and our hearts in gear for what God's going to do as we move forward. I only managed to go through the first two points of this, the promise and the purpose. Next week, I'll I'll finish off with the person and go straight into Acts 2. I want us to be expecting God to do something this week. Build your faith levels. Build your faith levels. Get into the Word. If you've not read your Bible for two weeks, a week, read your Bible. Open the Scriptures. Find some, start reading the book of Acts. Start reading the Gospel of Luke. Realise it was well-researched. It was God instrumented it. The Bible says, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. Why? when you read it to ignite what's in you that's the point it's not a dusty book it's full of the complementary power of God to bring direction so we're going to pray right now that this week that God starts to shift our thinking to start to see that there's amazing things that he can do and we're going to pray for baptism in the Holy Spirit next weekend we're going to pray that people encounter the supernatural and maybe God might just do some miracles next week just to endorse his presence Maybe some healings. Be praying about it, church. Let's get our faith levels up. 
Let's not be satisfied with the mediocre. This church is multiplying. It's now over 40% new partners this year alone. We've got amazing plans to move forward. And all of it's a vanity if we don't have the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. We're going to do that right now. So let's just pray. God, we just thank you this morning. God, we are going to lift our hearts to you this week. God, every one of us, Lord, there's not a single person in this room, even people who don't even know you yet. I'm praying for every person in this room. God, bring your power into their lives this week. God, bring your anointing into their lives this week. Lord, bring your, the blessing and the sign of your presence this week. And Lord, we pray against every spiritual battle that's going to take place because the demonic will rise up. I tell you, when the Spirit of God comes in, the demonic rises up. So this week, be on guard. Be praying hard. Start to believe that God is going to do something powerful. God, we pray this week that you protect every family, every wife and every husband, every child, every person in this church. God, we pray that as this week develops, Lord, in the prayer meeting on Wednesday, Lord, we've got the start of Youth Alpha and Adult Alpha. God, we've got the kickers for those things. And we pray, God, that you would fill, Lord, fill fill the potential that is in this church already God we want Lord we're not satisfied with what we got we want more God we're not satisfied we want you to flood this place we want you to fully anoint this place we want you Lord God to fill empty vessels Lord places where people have got dry and and just feel like they're burnt out and places where where people just feel like they're worthless I pray God that this morning and moving forward this week that as we come to next weekend you do the most amazing move Lord in the life of this church we pray God for your hand on everything we do in Jesus name Amen Amen I'm passionate about it I absolutely believe it this church the time is now and we are taking steps by faith and God is moving. I'm telling you, anything can happen. I don't know what he's going to do. Anything can happen in this next week. I'm telling you. And going forward, for it, it's not going to stop on Sunday. It's going to multiply because it's movement and multiplication. You just watch what's about to happen. And if you're uncertain, get stuck in and be involved. Amen. Amen.